if you can't buy what you want right now in a store, if you can't get what you need uh, in a place, uh, if you don't have the ability to afford the rent for your home and many of these other basic needs of food, shelter, and clothing that are no longer 100% available in the United States as it used to be before, whether you're rich or you're poor, you just can't go out and buy what you want anymore because it's just not there. And it is very sad. A lot of people are blaming things like organized crime taking over the supply chain in some areas and making things fall off the track and disappear and only be available bought on eBay. Well, that, of course, is what was prevalent in the Soviet Union. Yes, that's right, the former Soviet Union. You had corrupted delivery systems that were heavily influenced in the former Soviet Union. Guess who loved the former Soviet Union so much that he took his honeymoon there? Senator Bernie Sanders. And Sanders is raging on right now about the problems of America's economy and the workers not getting what they need. Today, nearly 40 million Americans live in poverty. And tonight, almost 600,000 people will be sleeping out on the streets or in homeless shelters. And that, of course, Sanders, uh, he has uh, three homes uh, back in his home state of Vermont, a farm. Uh, he's got properties uh, in his uh, ex-wife's name. He has two ex-wives and, and his current wife. Uh, and then he also has some scandal issues over a college. Yeah, so definitely Bernie Sanders is not suffering from being uh, homeless. They have no apartments, no places in which to live. And then there's also a lot of us who are stuck sharing apartments from other people because of oppressive banking regulations that have been put in place by the socialists, uh, like in the district I live in, which is in New York City, uh, where AOC runs things from Sanders' own, uh, you know, uh, satanic socialist party, I'm sorry, uh, democratic socialist party that, that tries to run things uh, into the ground in order to create conditions for a total worker takeover, maybe? Who knows? And here's an important fact to remember. And that is that he is a full-blown communist. In our country today, the average worker is making $42 a week less than he or she made 49 years ago. And Bernie Sanders has been in Congress all that time or in government and has had very little impact on making any change to make that situation better. In other words, when you try to appreciate the anger that exists in this country, the discontent. It's because Bernie Sanders fuels it. It has a lot to do with the fact that the average American worker is worse off in terms of real inflation, weekly income than was the case 49 years ago. And probably also because since the Biden administration has come into office, Bernie Sanders has been handling a lot of the economic situations in the country today. Now think about that. Think about how crazy that is. Yeah, that, that we're actually allowing in the, one of the most, in the world's most, you know, the top economy, that we're letting a communist run things. Think about all of the increase in technology, and productivity that we have seen, where workers today are producing a lot more than they used to because of the new technology, and yet, because of a huge transfer of wealth and income, they are worse off than they were in 1973.
but also there's a lot of outsourcing and those workers are fewer in number. And in fact, most of the production that they want to control these communists and socialists, you know, and put in the hands of the workers and all this kind of stuff, uh, that is basically being handled now in China and places in Thailand in uh, Mexico and Canada, you know, wonderful Canada. <laughs> Ask the truckers how that's working out for them. Half of the people in our country today are living paycheck to paycheck. That's if they have a paycheck, Bernie. And tens of millions are an accident, a divorce, an illness, or a layoff away from economic devastation. America today, we remain the only major country on earth not to guarantee health care as a right. The result of that is we have a system in which over 80 million Americans are uninsured or underinsured, and tens of thousands die each and every year because they don't get to a doctor when they should. Or because regulatory policies have become so prevalent that the price of medication outside of government insurance programs is so extreme that going to a doctor will cost you four to five hundred dollars if you were to do it outside of any of these government mandated Obamacare design programs. If you try to go it on your own and try to pay your own health care, the costs are extremely high. Going into a hospital would be prohibitive. And why? Because of the overemphasis on centralized Obamacare design programs people like Bernie put together. While many public schools throughout our country lack the resources to adequately educate our young people or pay their teachers the wages those teachers deserve, at the same time, we are the most heavily incarcerated nation on earth. Uh, that's because there's so much drugs on the street, and that's pushed also by so many criminals being released from the jails and, and breeding more criminals and creating more crime and more situations. And why? Because of the inequalities that are created by a society where everybody is promised something for nothing, and that just doesn't exist in the world. You got to work for it, Bernie. Now, why would Bernie know about that? You know, Bernie's never really worked outside of government his entire life and basically that kind of work isn't really much work basic human nature yeah yeah he, he gets it but in america today the very richest people live on average 15 years longer than the poorest americans yeah that look how long this guy is living <laughs> so when you talk about income and wealth inequality it's not just like, oh this guy has a nice house this person doesn't have a nice house Big car, no car, that's one thing. If you are poor in America, you are dying at a significantly younger age than if you are wealthy. And Bernie is almost 80. And he's taking so much money from so many people who don't understand that giving to this guy just perpetrates that very same class of society and, and, and things that is you know, kind of making things worse. And one of the worst things that have been happening, of course, is because of policies like Thank Sanders you. and others, is uh, you're seeing more and more problems uh, on, on the Senate floor. Now, of course, you need to look also at other issues that are that are being raised. 
and uh, what exactly uh, those issues are as far as, uh, you know, this, this discussion on the topic of why the economy is doing so bad and why it was doing so much better just so recently. Now, the Republican senator from South Dakota, who's probably not as popular as Bernie, doesn't have as many bros, his name is Senator Mike Rounds. Now, he questions uh, Cecilia, uh, I believe it's Cecilia Rosa, the chair of the Council of Economic Advisors of the President and other witnesses at a Senate banking committee hearing about the status of the economy. And this happened on Thursday. I'd like to focus on, on inflation and the causes of it. I'd like from our, our uh, witnesses to talk a little bit about the differences between what may very well be demand side challenges versus supply side. My constituents in South Dakota, like Americans across the country, are being squeezed by higher prices across the board. Uh, consumer prices in January were up 7.5% from a year ago. Energy prices overall were 27% higher in January than they were one year earlier. Electricity prices have jumped 10.7%. National gas prices have soared 40% since January of 2021 reaching the highest level since August of 2014. Right now, inflation, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and the uh, CPI indications are about 7.5% nationally, and PPI uh, basically about 9.7%, which would suggest that there is going to be additional, or at least there, there it is more inflation in our future rather than, than less. My question, uh, Dr. Rouse, is, uh, what portion of this in your analysis, how much of this is due to demand side um, where the Fed would basically have a role versus the supply side, which as you indicated in your testimony earlier, there's, this is perhaps you know, both the president having some things to do and, 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 and the Fed having some things to do. Um, first of all, would you agree that the supply side basically would rest more on the, the, the presidential side and the demand side more on the Federal Reserve side. So you're listening here, of course, to uh, Senator Rouse and Senator Rouse, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Chairman Rouse of the Economic Advisors Council and being asked on the uh, steep price increases uh, that are outpacing wages. Uh, well, thank you for the question. So the way that I see it is that uh, we have inflation because uh, it was important for uh, the federal government to support household workers, businesses through the pandemic. Uh, that is to maintain demand. We see this in countries around the world that could afford to do so, that they maintained, uh, that they protected their uh, constituents through, through, the, through the pandemic. Supply wasn't able to accommodate that demand and inflation fundamentally comes when you have a mismatch between supply and demand. So, I, you know, I, I, you know, there have been various estimates that have been put out that, that what we say the confidence interval is very wide. Uh, well, what she fails to mention, though, also is this, and, and I'm sorry for butting in again here. I'm, I'm going to play uh, both of these hearings as well as Senator Sanders' speech at the end and in its entirety unfiltered. Um, but she forgets to mention that because of all these dole outs, while well, people, no one was working in factories and other places around the world, uh, that was a primary reason for the gap in supply and demand. There was no effort made to try and ensure that people could go back to work in order to make sure that supply could meet up with demand 
even as uh, people's wages and uh, were, were actually supported and subsidized by government at the time. And that's the failure of government, particularly this government under Joe Biden. Uh, but we know um, uh, we know that when is what do you know? We get through the pandemic, we will. Yes, we are basically through the pandemic. Everybody pretty much knows that. Deregulation in both of them. Um, you know, one of the basic reasons that you can tell we're out of the pandemic is have you seen all those protests up in Canada. Have you noticed there's been no major outbreak because of it? Thousands of people, super spreader events, thousands and thousands of people protesting, and yet very few new cases being reported up in Canada. Hmm. What does that tell you? Um, and so what I would say is that as we were expecting that as we work through this pandemic, that the supply, that the price pressures will ease. So basically, she is from the uh, Kamala Harris School of Communication and uh, has decided to uh, basically double speak and triple speak her way out of this situation. Let's hear what the good senator has to say from South Dakota. The pandemic to, to, to be able to make sure that our economy could recover as quickly as possible. My, my question is just uh, right now with inflation where it's at, how do we go about addressing it? If we're serious about addressing it, how do we do that if we can't determine how much the Federal Reserve should do versus how much the administration should do? And uh, that's my question is, if, if you don't have that information or if that's not part of the studies, why not? So the Federal Reserve is an independent agency, and this is, you know, they, they are studying and they will determine their the, the speed and the size of their response. Uh, I will note that on the fiscal side, that the fiscal impulse has already turned rather negative. So we are already not putting as much, uh, you know, fiscal uh, resources into the economy, which will actually be slowing down the economy relative to where it has been over the last two years. So basically, yeah, it's, you know, their, their concept is, is manage decline. You know, that's how you do it. By putting everybody into poverty, you get basically less complaints because people are too hungry to be able to complain. Is that what you're saying, Professor? Maybe. I really think it's difficult to bring this under control if we don't recognize how much of this is actually due to supply side issues versus demand side. And I think part of that is, is the cost of petroleum, which is going to impact everybody. And I think when we're not talking about what's happening right now in terms of we talk about shutting down oil and gas leases on federal land and so forth, that sends a message of futures, costs on, on crude and so forth. That may very well work well for Mr. Putin because right now he's getting record profits out of the out of the oil and gas that he's producing, while at the same time back here at home, what we're seeing is increasing prices for our consumers. I so that that was Senator Rounds and of course uh, Cecilia Rouse, uh, the chair of the Council of Economic Advisors. Uh, discussing this issue, and uh, if you're more confused about it, we're going to go to a more wider-based forum in just a little bit, and then we will listen to this, I believe, and no, uh, we're going to listen to Bernie in toto. I'm not going to butt in. I'm going to let him speak. Uh, you know, uh, I I know I have family members and friends who, who support Bernie. But don't be blinded by, you know, doublespeak that, that often comes out by, by you know, these people who are pursuing, after all, a political agenda. And yet look also at where their basis is and what they are speaking about. You know, you have to go back and, and, and just remember, you know, uh, uh, you know the, the, the types of statements this guy made. Right now, we're, we're all worried about this, you know, invasion by Russia 
into the Ukraine, uh, you know, and 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 all the problems. And, and these were former Soviet republics, uh, and and how, you know, how this was all bad, you know, um, you know, basically that that. There's a lot of issues that have have come out, and a lot of issues that have been talked about. And you even try and find, you know, right now I was just typing in while I was talking, you know, about about all these things. Uh, even if you try and find his old speeches on the Soviet Union, it used to be uh, you could you could just you know enter in. Um, you know, like 1970s, uh, Sanders speaking on, on the USSR and up would pop up, uh, you know, all these things from, from, uh, his topics and his speeches from, from years ago. And, you know. Uh, how he admired the young pioneers and, and all their programs. Um, and in fact, he, he was so happy. This is, you know, all those years ago with, with uh, all these topics that, that bordered on, you know, his discussing and, and, you know, taking up points. Um, much of his discussions about communism and, and why it was, was a good thing back then. And uh, let's listen to what he was saying then. By, found and released by uh, activists with uh, Beto O'Rourke's uh, presidential campaign, Lucifo. It's a video, of, uh, the, the most uh, in Russia, clear from the, and they are still operating the Gulag Archipelago with uh, untold hundreds of thousands or millions still imprisoned there in these slave labor death camps. Ronald Reagan has decided that Nicaragua is a terrorist nation. And if this guy is the foreign minister of a terrorist nation, then they should get another foreign minister. Because he is a very gentle, very loving man. And everybody was totally convinced that Castro was the worst guy in the world, that all the Cuban people were going to rise up in rebellion against Fidel Castro. They had forgot that he educated their kids, gave them health care, totally transformed the society. You know, not to say that uh, Fidel Castro or Cuba are perfect. They are certainly not. My discussions with the mayor of Yaroslavl, a gentleman named Alexander Ryapkov, were very warm. He is a very, very pleasant man. In the 1980s, current Democratic presidential frontrunner Bernie Sanders was mayor of the small town of Burlington, Vermont. But during that time, he made some big trips across the Cold War divide to nations like Nicaragua, the Soviet Union, and Cuba. After each trip, he came back with reviews that mixed some criticism. The quality of your housing is not good. With plenty of praise. But we appreciate the fact that people are paying 5%. The quality of your health care, we understand, is not good. But in the United States, believe me, we have enormous problems in terms of our health care system. Health care in Nicaragua is now free. Uh, infant mortality has been greatly reduced. Also, we're extremely impressed by their public transportation system. In fact, it was the cleanest, 
most effective mass transit system that I've ever seen in my life. In terms of land reform, giving for the first time in their lives real land to farmers so that they can have something that they grow, nobody denies that they are making a significant progress in those areas. By the time that Somoza was ready to go out, everybody despised this guy. And after he was gone, I think what many members of the Nicaraguan establishment felt, well, we got rid of that guy, now we'll get a nicer guy in there who will also protect the interests of the rich people, but not as viciously. Well, the Sandinistas apparently did not agree with that. They really were talking about a transformation of society, giving power to the poor people, to the working people. At the time of these remarks, the Sandinista leader Sanders is referring to were branded terrorists by the Reagan administration. Sandinista government, in my view, has more support among the Nicaraguan people, substantially more support than Ronald Reagan has among the American people. These clips were buried in the archives for decades. But recently, they have gained currency online among Sanders' critics, including Democrats, who say as generally sympathetic views decades ago demonstrate a naive understanding of the world and make him vulnerable to attacks from President Trump should he win the Democratic nomination. Today, Sanders pushes back against accusations that he was duped into parroting communist propaganda. We're very opposed to the authoritarian nature of Cuba. But you know, you got, it's unfair to simply say everything is bad. He has criticized governments such as Castro's Cuba for their iron-fisted style. There's a lot of dissidents imprisoned in, in Cuba. That's right, and we condemn that. Unlike Donald Trump, let's be clear, you want I do not think that Kim Jong-un is a good friend. I don't trade love letters with a murdering dictator. Vladimir Putin, not a great friend of mine. But he continues to offer praise where he says it's due. You know, when Fidel Castro came into office, you know what he did? He had a massive literacy program. Is that a bad thing? Sanders maintains his models for democratic socialism lie in the prosperous democratic nations of Scandinavia, not in places like Cuba or Nicaragua. I am reminded again of what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, and I quote, this country has socialism for the rich, rugged individualism for the poor, end quote. But his opponents are unlikely to let voters forget his past remarks. Very good, thank you very much. Thank you. This has been CCTV with the mayor. Yeah, uh, the reason I put up that recording was it's, it's a throwback. You know, it's a, it's a look back at what Sanders was speaking about in the Soviet Union back in the day. And, of course, people change their opinions on things, but it puts things into context as to just exactly what kind of stuff the socialists in America are pushing but do not make sense when you think about the totalitarianity of this situation. Why is there so much anger from Sanders uh, versus uh, Trump's efforts in, in North Korea because basically North Korea at that time was taking a different path. It had, it had tried towards working at negotiations to be able to get out of the situation, but instead it kind of went a little haywire because the Democrats were torpedoing all efforts uh, towards normalizing North Korea's situation and uh, finding a way out of it. Secondly, with the Soviet Union, of course, uh, the number one thing they wanted was the return of the CCCP, the Communist Party that Lenin founded, that Marx founded, that Stalin ran into the ground, blood red. This was the party of the Soviet communists, many of whom are now financing, running and setting up and taking care of and, and putting together. Uh, you know, DSA in the United States is basically, these are the, these are the grandkids of the cells of Communist International that were created back in the 60s, the 40s, the 30s, 
that were scattered throughout the United States. And uh, it, it is ironic that it is the children, in many cases, of these people who, who ran these programs that are now persecuting uh, capitalism, persecuting people who go into business, persecuting and creating problems for American workers in the middle class more than anyone else. Classic example would be the former mayor of New York, uh, Bill de Blasio. De Blasio's father was a full-blown communist. Eventually, when he was exposed in, in hearings, he was forced to leave his government job. And at the end of the day, because of his efforts working for you know, Soviet-run agencies, he was exposed, losing his job, and le leading to his taking his own life, supposedly. You know, uh, that, that is what was was said uh but we know that communists eat their own uh so who knows and eventually bill de blasio uh or william wilhelm uh came out becoming the uh the mayor of new york city and, and that is the son of a suicidal soviet spy uh or operative who was actually in the united states government for a long time uh until he was exposed and and uh well, led to a lot of problems for him his family and uh you know uh eventually leading to him dropping out and dropping out of the way but unfortunately setting up his son to eventually run with the sandinistas and do the same things that sanders was speaking about or is speaking about in that speech earlier now let's go to bernie sanders speech from the other day on the senate floor on how crazy things are crazy crazy for me playing the speech i don't know <laughs> I'm just crazy sometimes. Hey, have a fun on a Sunday, Saturday, whatever day. It's a weekend, and this is just Mike of New York. Continue on. Today, nearly 40 million Americans live in poverty, and tonight, almost 600,000 people will be sleeping out on the streets or in homeless shelters. They have no apartments, no places in which to live. And here's an important fact to remember. In our country today, the average worker is making $42 a week less than he or she made 49 years ago. In other words, when you try to appreciate the anger that exists in this country, the discontent, it has a lot to do with the fact that the average American worker is worse off in terms of real inflation weekly income than was the case 49 years ago. And think about that. Think about how crazy that is. Think about all of the increase in technology and productivity that we have seen, where workers today are producing a lot more than they used to because of the new technology, and yet, because of a huge transfer of wealth and income, they are worse off than they were in 1973. Half of the people in our country today are living paycheck to paycheck, and tens of millions are an accident, a divorce, an illness, or a layoff away from economic devastation. In America today, we remain the only major country on earth not to guarantee health care as a right. And the result of that is we have a system in which over 80 million Americans are uninsured or underinsured, and tens of thousands die each and every year. 
because they don't get to a doctor when they should. While many public schools throughout our country lack the resources to adequately educate our young people or pay their teachers the wages those teachers deserve, at the same time, we are the most heavily incarcerated nation on earth. We've got more people in jail than any other country. Meanwhile, 45 million Americans who did go to college, they saved up, they went to college, they are now drowning in $1.8 trillion in student debt. And I talk to those nurses and workers every day who say, Bernie, we've got to do something because every month I'm paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars in student debt. And here is something else that we don't talk about. You know, we have a habit here, I'm afraid, in the Senate and the House, we talk about a lot, but often not the most important things in the country. And that is that I suspect that as part of human nature, every person in America and around the world would like to live long and happy and productive lives. It's pretty basic human nature. But in America today, the very richest people live, on average, 15 years longer than the poorest Americans. So when you talk about income and wealth inequality, it's not just like, oh, this guy has a nice house, and this person doesn't have a nice house. Big car, no car, that's one thing. If you are poor in America, you are dying at a significantly younger age than if you are wealthy. Madam President, the polls seem to show that uh, more and more Americans are giving up on democracy. Um, they work long hours for low wages. They worry about their kids. They can't afford health care. They see their jobs going to other countries. And meanwhile, the people on top are doing better than any time in American history, and they wonder, hey, we elect these guys to the House, to the Senate, governors. What are they doing for us? Do they understand? Do they live in the real world? Do they understand what is going on in our lives? Or are they too busy going out raising campaign contributions from the rich and the powerful? I believe, Madam President, that the time is long, long, long overdue for the Congress to start addressing the needs of the American people. And I know it is a radical idea to suggest that maybe, just maybe, we should do what the American people want and not what wealthy campaign contributors want. When 83% of the American people want us to lower the cost of prescription drugs, you know what? Might be time for the Senate to do that. When 84% of the American people know there is something wrong with elderly people, can't afford dental care, hearing aids, or eyeglasses, 84%, maybe, just maybe, we may want to expand Medicare to cover those basic health care needs when overwhelming numbers of the American people know that it is beyond absurd 
that some billionaires in large profitable corporations don't pay a nickel in federal income tax, maybe, just maybe, we might want to change our tax system so that the rich and the powerful start paying their fair share of taxes. When 76% of the American people understand that our home health care system is a disaster, that many elderly people and disabled people would rather stay home rather than forced into a nursing home, maybe we should expand home health care. When we remain the only major country on earth not to have paid family and medical leave, the only major country on earth, maybe it's time that the Congress passed Paid Family and Medical Leave Act. When we have a dysfunctional child care system in which my, in my state, not different around the country, working parents are paying 25%, 30% of their income for child care so they can go to work, maybe we should reform our child care pre-K system so that it is affordable to all parents in this country. And maybe, I know this is another radical idea, piece in the paper today about the impact of climate change. Sea level is going to rise by a foot in the next few decades. We're looking at drought, floods, extreme weather disturbance. Here's a really radical idea, Madam President. Maybe at a time when the scientists tell us that it is questionable in terms of the kind of planet we're going to leave our kids and future generations, whether or not it is going to be habitable or livable. I know it's a radical idea. A lot of fossil fuel money coming into this place. But maybe, just maybe, we stand up to the fossil fuel industry and tell them their short-term profits are not more important than the future of this planet. So, Madam President, uh, we have a lot of work to do. I'm not sure that we will do it. I'm not sure that members of Congress have the willingness or the courage to stand up to the powerful special interests who control the economic and political life of this country. But this I will say, if we do not do that in terms of the economy, in terms of climate, in terms of health care, in terms of education, future generations will look back at this Congress and say, where were you? Thank you, Madam President. In 2019, wages were rising, and they were rising faster than prices. And wages were rising faster for low-income workers than they were for upper-income workers. So we had workers, well, unemployment reached record lows also, and workers were able to improve their standard of living because their income was rising faster than their expenses. Now, we're in a situation where wages are rising, but prices are rising faster. And the reality is, for most workers, they're falling behind because the cost of the things they need to buy every week is going up faster than any increase in their income. So the Bureau of Labor Statistics in February 10th summarized it pretty neatly. They say, and I quote, real Real average hourly earnings decreased 1.7%, seasonally adjusted, from January 21 to January 22. The change in real average hourly earnings combined with a decrease of 1.4% in the average work week 
resulted in a 3.1% decrease in real average weekly earnings over this period. I know that's not the intention, but isn't it true, let's start with Dr. Rouse, that most low- and middle-income workers have experienced a bigger rise in the cost of the things they need to buy than in their incomes? Well, I, I appreciate the concern very much, um, Senator, and we're all very concerned about inflation and, and appreciate uh, that that is you know, the purview of the Fed in the short term, and it's important that we have a full slate of governors. Um, I just would like to point out the chart on the far right. Uh, okay, good. I'm sorry, um, but look, we all know that the number of governors is adequate to do whatever they need to do about inflation. So let's not let's not go there. Okay, so let's look at this chart on the far. But, but can you can uh, can you confirm this the simple so, fact that for most workers wages are not rising as fast as prices? So what we've some recent estimates by economists Emmanuel Saez and Zuckman um, suggest that actually if we look at the bottom fifty uh, percent um, of of workers, uh, that their market income before taxes and benefits is greater now than it was in Q4 2019. Um, and you can look, if you look after taxes and benefits, that they're actually ahead. So, so, so is your position, so we, we, we saw the, the number of seven and a half percent is the annual, the most recent annual rate of inflation. We also know that low and middle income people have a worse experience than that because they pay a disproportionate amount of their income for things that are rising more rapidly than seven and a half, like gasoline, like groceries. Are you telling me that you think that the average worker in America is more than keeping up with inflation? So what we know is that uh, household, we, it, look, inflation is not, we, we do not want to see this level of inflation going forward. And that's why the president is focused on doing what he can. We would like, you know, the Federal Reserve is likely to adjust how its posture has been towards inflation. But we do know that household balance sheets, because of the efforts of the federal government, the Federal Reserve, uh, have been relatively, have been maintained through this pandemic, which is what is reflected in this chart on the left. Okay. I, I'm, I'm surprised that we can't candidly acknowledge the obvious. Wages are not growing as fast as prices for the large majority of workers. And these workers are falling behind. Yes, if you have a lot of accumulated assets, they've appreciated in value, and you're probably doing fine. But the Americans I'm concerned about in this in this case are those who don't have a huge accumulated. Let me ask a question of uh, Dr. Bushi. Um, contrary to uh, what I occasionally hear, it is an objective fact that the 2017 tax reform made the American income tax code more progressive. We lowered the burden for everybody, and in the process, changing rules shifted the percentage. The, the, the largest percentage to more upper-income people. My understanding is the administration supports legislation that would raise the SALT deduction from the $10,000 limit that we put for rich people to deduct their high state and local taxes to $80,000. I don't know any working-class people who have $80,000 worth of state and local taxes. And yet, it looks like the administration supports that. Um, my understanding uh, is from joint tax that the top 10% of income earners would get about 88% of the benefit of lifting the SALT cap. So why does the administration want to have this huge giveaway to wealthy people who choose to live in expensive jurisdictions? 
so the administration has not um, come out with a position on the SALT tax um, at this point, and I'm not here to negotiate that with you today. But, but I, what I, I, I'm sorry. But maybe what I, I can tell did, you. Did you not endorse the Build Back Better legislation? Doesn't that? The, the House passed our, bill. So the president's that. framework. Um, has been very clear on his priorities in terms of tax reform. Okay, I understand. He has so, a very uh, robust okay, agenda. Do I, do I just want to be clear? You do not support the House passed bill. I just said that we have, there's not a, 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 I'm not here to negotiate that particular piece of the legislation here today, but the Doesn't president sound like has much put of an endorsement. out okay. a, a very fulsome agenda around tax reform, focusing on taxing uh, wealth and not work, and focused on taxing folks making more than $400,000 a year. Okay, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Senator Menendez is on. Is Menendez? 